All right, how you doing? It is great to see you. So glad that we get to be together today. And uh, welcome to those of you also joining us from our campuses and from your cottage or the campground or wherever you're joining us online. And uh, hey, if you're new to Ada Bible Church, you're probably going, who's this guy? <laughs> well, let me introduce myself. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And uh, I have the privilege of leading us through the next couple weeks of this series, 10 Questions Jesus Asked. And uh, I want to start our time together by just uh, asking you a question of my own, which is, uh, what does worry look like in your life? Like, like, what does worrying do to you? How does it show up in your life? I wonder if you have some habits around worry. Like, people could tell if you're worrying by looking at your fingernails, right? Because you're one of these people that bites your fingernails. What does worry look like in your life? I wonder if it's a pacing thing, you know? Like, you're one of these people that perhaps you're even on the phone and you just pace when you're worrying. Maybe you eat more drink more. I have a friend who compulsively cleans when they're worried. It's like the more worried, the faster the vacuum is going, you know, and I'm thinking, well, there's less destructive habits around worrying. And if you're like, huh, I wonder what I do. Uh, hey, just ask your spouse. Uh, just ask the person you're in a relationship with. They'll let you know what strange habits you have when you're worried. Uh, but what about me? Uh, how has worry shown up in my life? Well, uh, it was way back in elementary school that for the first time, my mom drove me to the hospital, to the emergency room in the middle of the night because I had this stomach ache that just wouldn't go away and it was terrible. And so they ran tests, I had to drink some kind of disgusting medicine and after the end of a long night, it was kind of like, well, we can't find anything wrong with you. Um, are you under stress? And that was just as a, you know, as a kid. And then several times through middle school and then high school, my mom drives me back to the emergency room for the same drill. And even after I was probably too old for my mom to drive me to the emergency room, I ended up driving myself. And each time, same deal, run some tests, drink some disgusting medicine, and hey, we can't find anything wrong with you. Are you under a lot of stress? Is worry-induced stomach aches. And so if you're somebody that really kind of struggles with worry or perhaps worry actually dominates your life, I just want you to know, I can relate to that because I've been there. And so uh, I bring up this topic of worry because Jesus asked a question about worry. You know, we're in this series, uh, 10 Questions Jesus Asked, and, and something I discovered in preparing for this series is Jesus asks over 300 questions in the Gospels, the, the biographies of Jesus' life. He asks a lot of questions, and one of those questions is this right here. Why do you worry? Why do you do it? What do you worry about? Why do you worry? And the context of this question uh, happens to be the Sermon on the Mount. So let me show you a map here 
Uh, so we got Israel, you know, Mediterranean Sea. Up here in the north of Israel is the Sea of Galilee. And uh, Jesus spent most of his time in that region. And uh, we have the spot marked where I think Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. It's probably his most famous message. It, take, it takes up a couple chapters in Matthew's Gospel. So the four biographies of Jesus' life, the Gospels, Matthew is the first one in your New Testament. Now, here's just a picture and of course, this is modern day Israel, but this is close to the location. So this is kind of what it might have looked like and what it might have felt like to sit and listen to Jesus give his Sermon on the Mount and ask this question, why do you worry? Now, hearing that question and thinking about what's going on in our world, you might just be going, Really, Jesus? I mean, why do you worry? Do you have any idea what's going on in our lives? Uh, for example, uh, been here lately, right? The gas station. And just the prices have been really unprecedented. And this whole inflation thing, it's all over the news, and, and we're feeling it, right? If you, if you have a family and you have a family budget, you're just going like between gas and groceries and other areas, like that budget really isn't working. And so what do I, why do I worry? Well, I worry because it doesn't feel like we have enough money to make things work right now. Why do you worry? Well, there's, there's the money thing. What else? What else is going on in your life that would cause you to worry? You know, it's the middle of summer, July, and I hate to bring it up, but that means the school year's, you know, not that far away. And if you're going back to school, you might have some decisions on the table. Perhaps you're gonna be a senior in high school and you're just going like, okay, I have to decide what college I'm gonna to go to if I'm going to college. And these are decisions that you worry about. Perhaps you're already in college and you're like, okay, this year I really have to decide my major. Not like last year or the year before that, but this time I actually have to decide what my major is gonna be. Maybe you're a senior in college and it's like, okay, I need to actually choose my career direction and apparently it's time to grow up and, and become an adult and all these things, you just worry about your future. Maybe you worry about your marriage. There was a time back in the day where you met somebody, you fell in love, you got married, and now that person is more and more of a stranger in your home. And it just feels like this thing isn't working. And you worry about your marriage, you worry about your future, you worry about your kids. Why do you worry? I would think that we have plenty that might cause us to worry in our lives. But the thing about worry is, I think we all know like it doesn't really help anything, right? Like it doesn't help me sleep more, that's for sure. It doesn't help, it, it doesn't, I mean, it probably, if anything, hurts us. I mean, medical research would show that that's probably true. So all of us are going like, well, it's, it's kind of pointless, so why do I do it? Which probably is why Jesus said this, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? It's like, this, this pointless, why, why do you do it? And we, and we know that it doesn't help. 
In fact, none of us are going, you know, I just love worrying. I mean, I can't wait, like later on tonight, I can't wait to spend a couple hours just, you know, scrolling through everything that could possibly go wrong in my life. Like, that's none of us. We don't want to worry. We just get sucked into it. And so Jesus, in this teaching today, he has incredibly important words for us around worry. Words that will help us understand why it is that we get sucked into worrying about the future, worrying about our lives. And also, I think Jesus is going to offer us a pathway out of lives dominated by worry. So here's the question I want you to wrestle with. Next week, next month, next year, is your life gonna be more or less defined by worry? And the thing about worry is I don't think it gets better on its own. It usually escalates. And I think we all know worry has a detrimental effect on our lives. It steals our joy, it robs us of peace. But a, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, are you gonna worry more or are you gonna worry less? This is an important conversation. And so back to this picture of the hillside. Here's the invitation. I, I invite you to sit down on that hillside with that crowd that was listening to Jesus talk about these ideas. I invite you to hear the words of Jesus as he teaches us about worry. He's gonna give us three key ideas that help us understand why it is that we worry and lead us out of a life dominated by worry. And so let's jump into this teaching that Jesus has for us. This is how he begins this section of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? He's going, look, don't worry about these things that you need. And then he goes on and he gives an illustration. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. As Jesus talks to this audience about worry, he draws their attention up to the sky. He says, look at the sky and just imagine the birds flying above them as they sit on this hillside with the Sea of Galilee in view. And Jesus says, look at the birds. Why, why do you worry? God takes care of them. Of course he's going to take care of you. And, and you think about birds, it's just a funny illustration that Jesus gives. He's like, look, they don't farm. They don't have tractors. You know, They don't build barns to store their grain. They just, they just do what God made them to do. They just, they just exist. I mean, birds, they're just free. They, they perch, they fly, they sing, they do their business wherever they want, including on your car. You know, They're just totally free. They don't worry about the what-ifs in life, and that just sounds so nice, doesn't it? That kind of worry-free existence. But there's something that gets in the way for us of experiencing that kind of worry-free life. And what is it? 
Well, Jesus gives us the answer in the very next sentence. Again, this same uh, verse, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Here it is. Are you not much more valuable than they? And so as Jesus makes this illustration about birds, what he wants to talk about is value. This is really important. Jesus is making a connection between worry and value. Because here's the deal. What you attach your sense of value to, that's what you worry about. You will worry about the things that you attach your sense of value and worth to. There's a strong connection here between worry and value. So she hasn't slept well in weeks. And the reason is because she keeps worrying about this promotion at the office. And she's gonna get the promotion. I mean, she's the logical choice for the person to get the promotion. Everybody keeps telling her, you're gonna get the promotion. It seems like her bosses keep giving her hints that she's gonna get the promotion. But what if she doesn't? What if they give it to somebody else? Everybody thinks she's gonna get it. Everybody's talking about it. She would never be able to show her face in that office again if she doesn't get it when everybody thinks she's going to. It's possible that she has attached her sense of value to status and job performance. What you value, what you attach your value to, that's what you're gonna worry about. 20 likes. Only 20 likes. The last post had 100 likes. Why does this one only have 20 likes? And why didn't she like it? And and what about him? Why didn't he like this post? What's wrong with this post? Is it something I said? Is Is it what I'm wearing? Is it the pose? Only 20 likes. Could be that you've attached your sense of value to what people think about you. It's been over a month and you're still so mad about his grades. He's a smart kid. If he would just apply himself and if he doesn't raise those grades up, he's never gonna be able to get into a good school. And if he doesn't get into a good school, then what what do his grades say about him? What do his grades say about me as his parent? Could be that you've attached your sense of value and worth to your kid's achievement. This is important because what you attach your value to, that's what you're gonna worry about. And so returning to this question I asked you earlier, okay, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, are you gonna be less worried or more worried? And one of the answers to that question is, well, it depends on what you attach your sense of value to. This idea of value that Jesus brings up, it's so important. I want to spend a little bit more time here and talk about value. Because here's the deal about value. You can tell how valuable something is based on what someone is willing to pay for it, right? That's how we determine value. So let me ask you a strange question. Um, any of your kids into Pokemon cards, okay? 
Just wondering. Some of you are like, forget the kids. I'm into Pokemon cards. All right, hey, no judgment. That's cool. Whatever, you know. So um, some of my kids are pretty into Pokemon cards right now. So they got all these cards and, you know, they play these games. And, and sometimes they, they spread the Pokemon cards all over the living room floor. And they like look at them and then they grab an iPad. And then they go to this Pokemon website. I don't know what it is. And they start looking up how much each of these cards is worth. And then they start telling me, you know, hey, dad, this card is worth like 20 bucks. And I'm like, it's Pokemon cards. These things aren't worth anything, you know? So I'm like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check this out. I'm gonna, so I, I go online and I start researching Pokemon cards and how much they're worth, okay? And I ran across this right here. Um, now, this card is called the Pikachu Illustrator, okay? And if you're into Pokemon, you're probably like, he, you just said that totally wrong. Look, I'm not a Pokemon trainer, okay? I don't know. I don't understand Pokemon, but it's called something like the Pikachu Illustrator. And this card sold at an auction earlier this year. You wanna know how much this card sold for? $900,000 for a Pokemon card. I'm like, what? So the point, the reason I'm telling you this is the next time your kids are like, hey, please buy me a pack of Pokemon cards, do it, okay? <laughs> this could be your retirement plan. Okay, you know how valuable something is based on what someone is willing to pay for it. That's Pokemon cards, okay? What about you? Are you valuable? How do you feel about your value and your worth? And listen, I know for some of us, this is actually a painful question because how you think about your value and worth, it drives the worry that you experience and that you get wrapped up in. And so let's talk about your value and your worth. Again, you know how valuable something is based on what someone is willing to pay for it. And do you know how valuable you are? Because your creator valued you so much that he paid for you with his life. That is, in order to rescue you from death, in order to rescue you from the brokenness that's in this world and in you, in order to rescue you from sin, your creator paid for you with his blood. You know how valuable something is based on what someone is willing to pay for it. Friends, let this truth sink into your soul and revolutionize the way that you think about your value and worth. This truth has the power to change your life. This could transform your life. And my hope for you, my prayer for you is that you would detach your sense of value from achievement and status and the things that you own and that you would anchor that sense of value in Christ recognizing that when you anchor your identity in Christ, that has the power to transform your life. Friends, if you want to grow out of a life dominated by worry, anchor your identity in the right place, in him. Now, some of you might be going, listen, I, I know that. 
I believe that. In fact, I, I've believed that for a long time because I've been a, I've been a Christian for many years, but, but I still struggle with worry. What's up with that? Well, it could be because you have forgotten something that you need to remember. And so let's travel back to the hillside with Jesus as he continues to unpack this teaching about worry. He says, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon, not even Solomon, the the most extravagantly wealthy king of Israel's history, was dressed like one of these. And so first, Jesus draws their attention to the skies, and he says, look at the birds, and he wants to talk about value. Now he asks them to look around and just uh, take this in and imagine springtime in the Galilee region where these grassy hillsides are covered in wildflowers. And Jesus says, look, look at the flowers. He wants, to talk about, he wants to talk about worry and flowers, but what's he getting at? He keeps going and he says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, in that time, in that culture, you know, eventually they would cut the grass down. They would use it as fire starter. And, and if that's how God clothes the grass, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Again, God values you so much more than birds and grass. He's going to take care of your needs. Now, as Jesus challenges them not to worry about their needs, I think we just need to pause here for a second and try to get our minds into their world, to try to, try to sit with these first century listeners and understand the things that they worried about, because Jesus is talking to them about food and about clothes, and for us, I mean, all the things, of all the things that we worry about, my guess is food and clothes, probably not at the top of that list. But it was for them in the first century. I mean, clothes. In the ancient world, here's the deal with clothes. You, most people had two sets of clothes. That's it. You had the set of clothes that you wore every day for everything, and then you had the one set of clothes that was for like a festival day, like a, uh, like a religious holiday. And clothing was so valuable that when a person died, they would often leave their clothes as part of their will. And so clothing is hugely valuable. And if you rip your cloak, if you lose your t- tunic, that, that's a big problem in their world. I mean, for us, your kid's out playing in the yard, you notice that they rip their jeans, you pull out your phone, Amazon app, new pair of jeans, you have Prime, so boom, they'll be there in two days, or maybe in 20 minutes with a drone. We don't know, we're living in the future, okay? But I'm just saying, we're like clothes, not a huge deal. For them, huge deal. Food. Okay, Israel was a land almost entirely dependent on rain. If it doesn't rain, then you're not going to eat. And there's no Meyer, there's no Trader Joe's. And so imagine the anxiety in their world of watching a rainless spring and a rainless summer unfold. Because you know what's coming. There's not going to be enough food And imagine as you watch the people of your village grow more and more emaciated. 
because it didn't rain. And Jesus says, hey, don't worry about clothes and about food. And if you're in that culture sitting on that hillside, you might be thinking, well, that's great. But how exactly do we not worry about things that we actually really need? And you might be feeling the same thing. And so how, how do we avoid worry? Jesus gives us a clue. And it's in the last four words of that verse that we just looked at, where he says, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, here we go, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? These four words, I think, are really important to understand what Jesus is getting at here. What's this big idea about worry that he's getting at? So when I see a phrase like this, you of little faith, that When I look at it, I'm like, I'm not sure exactly what that means. What's Jesus getting at here? Sometimes a helpful question to ask is, okay, where else does that phrase show up in the scriptures? Where where else does this show up? Because those examples could shed light on what Jesus is getting at here. So in the gospel accounts, the stories of Jesus' life, Matthew is where we're spending our time right now. Matthew uses this phrase four times. Luke uses it once. Mark and John, the other two gospel writers, zero times. And that tells me that Matthew is using this phrase in a particular way to communicate something important. So let's quickly look at the other three examples where Jesus uses this phrase. And they all happen with the disciples in a boat which is interesting. So the first example, the disciples are out in a boat traveling across the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus, you probably know this story, he comes walking out to them, as in like he's walking on the water. And Peter's like, whoa, can I do that? And Jesus is like, come on out. And so he climbs out of the boat, and Peter begins to walk on the water until he looks down. And he's like, I'm on water. And then he starts to sink because he's freaking out. And what does Jesus say to him in that moment? He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? There's our phrase, why did you doubt? That's the first example. Second example follows this big event where here's a picture, Jesus feeds this massive crowd with just a couple loaves of bread and just a couple fish. In your Bible, this story is called the feeding of the 4,000. He miraculously multiplies all this food. After that, the disciples and Jesus, they're again in the boat, they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is teaching them about something called the yeast of the Pharisees. I think he's talking about the bad influence of the Pharisees. But the disciples go, oh, yeast. It's because we forgot to bring bread on the boat. And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? Were you just not at the deal where I multiplied? Do you think I need bread? Okay, that's not what he said. This is actually what he said. He said, you of little faith, why are you talking amongst yourselves about having no bread? That's the phrase again. Okay, third example. They're on the boat. They're on the Sea of Galilee. This time there's this massive storm that sweeps up. And the disciples are like, we're gonna die. This storm is so big. And keep in mind, These are career fishermen, a couple of them. They know how to work a boat. They've been in a storm and they're going, we're done. Meanwhile, where's Jesus? Sleeping, right? He's sleeping in the boat. So they wake him up. Jesus, we're gonna die. And so he wakes up and what does he do? He rebukes the storm 
It becomes calm, and he turns to them, and what does he say? He says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And so in each of, this, each of these examples where Jesus says, you of little faith, it involves an episode where the disciples either forget or fail to believe in the presence and the power and the provision of Jesus and they're thinking it's all on us. We've gotta handle this. It's all on our shoulders. And Jesus is going, no, it's not out of control. I'm totally in control. So back to the hillside, Jesus is teaching this crowd. He brings up flowers. And it's like, where's Jesus going with this? You of little faith. I think that phrase was meant to trigger something for the disciples that it would trigger for them that you need to remember that you're not alone. It's not all on your shoulders. He's in the boat with you. And so I think the phrase that is helpful here as we talk about the connection of worry and this you a little faith is the phrase, remember. Remember that it's not all on you. What if Jesus is in the boat with you? So those times when I'm laying in bed and I'm trying to fall asleep, but instead of sleeping, I'm mentally doom scrolling the what ifs of my life. I'm thinking about the, that thing that that person said, okay, what did they mean by that? And, and, and you know, what do they think of me? And then I got this email I gotta deal with and I got this decision in front of me and I'm worrying about the things of life. In those moments when I'm worrying, I actually believe that it's all on me, that it's all on my shoulders. And I just go, I've gotta do, I've gotta control, I've gotta conform, I gotta deal, because if I don't, if I fail, that's what we do when we worry. We believe the lie that it's all on us, and Jesus is going, remember, you're not alone. I'm with you, and I'm powerful, and I'm in control, and I've provided for you in the past. Remember, one of the best ways to combat worry in your life is to just pause and remember what God has done in the past. That when you start to feel fear and you feel yourself getting sucked into worry, just pause and invite him into that space and remember that he's with you he's strong and that he's provided for you in the past. That is one of the best ways to combat worry. And so if, if you're struggling with worry right now, and let's be real, I bet that means all of us. I want to invite you to do something this week, which is another way of saying, I have a homework assignment for you this week. I want you to make a list. I want you to make a list of a, a remembering list, where you just take time to think through the ways that God sh has shown up in your life in the past, over the last weeks and months and years. How has he shown up? How has he provided? How has he used other people in your life to care for you and to provide for your needs? Because remembering is one of the best ways to combat worry. Now, how many of you use the Beyond the Weekend resource? Is this devotional that we use? Okay, a bunch of you. Um, if you don't, 
You should. It's awesome. Here's how you get it. But uh, it's, a, it's a daily devotion. We send it right to your email inbox. And on Wednesday of this week, there will be a prompt in the devotional to make this list. And I think it's really important to just remember how God has shown up and shown himself to be powerful. Because to worry is to believe the lie that it's all on you, that it's all on your shoulders. And I think this is so important because when we choose to believe that lie, it can lead us to live our lives in ways that are, that are unhealthy. In fact, that can even be destructive to ourselves and the people around us. And that's where Jesus turns for this last big idea. So again, back to the hillside, Jesus is teaching about worry and he says, so do not worry, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? It's like he's going, look, because, because God values you and because you're not alone, don't worry. And then he brings up uh, another illustration. He says, for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. So first, Jesus says, hey, look up to the sky, look at the birds, and then he says, look around, look at the flowers, and then I think he points across the Sea of Galilee, and he says, and, and look at the pagans, don't be like the pagans, and uh, who are the pagans? Okay, the pagans are Greeks and Romans, so this is the uh, ruins of a Greek city right on the east side of Israel. Uh, it's, it's called Scythopolis. It's part of a group of cities called, here's a map, uh, called the Decapolis region. Decapolis means 10 cities. And so if this is Israel here, just across the Jordan River and up in here, there were 10 Greek and Roman cities where people were not Jewish, they were pagans. And so I think Jesus is saying, hey, don't be like them because they worry and it leads them to do something. And what does it cause them to do? What did he say? The pagans run after these things, the things that they need. They chase after the things that they need. Why, why would they do that? Because they don't know God as father. They don't know that they have a God who actually cares about them, who's revealed himself to be a loving and generous father. The pagans' gods, they didn't care about you. And so if you were a pagan and you wanted something or if you needed something, you better worry about it and you better go chase it down because it's all up to you. And I think part of the warning here is that when you believe it's all on you and you go chasing after what you need, often that is a reckless chase. And I think many of us could tell stories of a season of our lives when there was something that we wanted or felt like we needed and we were worried about never getting that thing and so we chase after it in a way that was reckless and we hurt ourselves and we hurt other people. In fact, we still carry baggage from that season. We still bear the scars from that season because we chased after those things. And Jesus says, don't be like the pagans. You don't have to because you have a God who's revealed himself to be a loving father who knows you. I mean, he knows what you need. He knows the desires of your heart and he cares about you. And so what Jesus does here using the, ex the example of the pagans is he invites 
his listeners into something. He invites them into trust. You don't have to behave like that. You can trust your father because he has promised to provide what you need. The invitation here is into the kind of life that's more characterized in, by trust than it is by worry. Worriers become chasers. And Jesus says, don't live like the pagans. Learn to trust your father. And then he offers this beautiful illustration. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is an invitation to trust in a good and gracious Father, seek first his kingdom, his way, his priorities, and his righteousness, meaning living in right relationship with God and right relationship with Jesus. If I could just summarize that first line, it's kind of like live life God's way. Jesus is inviting you into a way of life of following him. Seek that. Live after that. And guess what? All these things will be given to you as well. He promises to provide your needs. So don't live like the pagans. Don't go chasing. Instead, trust. Now, I think it's important to recognize that what Jesus is not saying here is, hey, don't pursue happiness. Don't pursue love. Don't pursue security. I don't think he's saying that at all. I think he's saying, as you pursue the things that you need and as you pursue the things that you, not, that, you, that you want, keep me at the center. And when we find ourselves recklessly chasing, we take Jesus out of the center and we're just running after that thing that we want. And that's when it gets dangerous. And so a question I need to ask you, is there an area of your life where you're chasing after something that you want, something that you think you need in a way where God is no longer at the center. You want so badly to be financially secure. I mean, just to, to be independent from the help of your parents, to, to be able to provide for you and your family on your own, to be able to have a secure financial future. You, just, you want that so badly that you've begun to worry about that and now you're chasing. And you just realize that you're cutting corners. You're not being totally honest with people. You're making deals that are not in the best interest for everybody. And you're just going, Jesus is no longer at the center of this. And I am chasing after that thing. There's just something in you that, that longs for a forever kind of relationship. Call it love, call it happily ever after, or whatever, that you just long for that. And it's a good longing, but you just realize that something has changed and now you're chasing after love in a way that God's no longer at the center. And you've begun to ignore Jesus' teaching about boundaries, and you begin to ignore Jesus' teaching about relationships, and now you're just chasing after this thing. And Jesus is no longer at the center. Is there an area of your life where Jesus is no longer at the center and you're just chasing this thing recklessly because Jesus offers this invitation 
to not worry and chase, but to trust, to pursue with Jesus at the center. It's an invitation to trust him. So let me wrap up with the same question that I asked early on. A week from now, a month from now, a year from now, what's worry going to look like in your life? Are you going to be more and or less dominated by worry? Well, for me, uh, it's been a pretty long time since I ended up in the ER for a worry-induced stomach ache. In fact, it's been over 20 years. And you're probably going like, well, what changed? Well, I'm gluten-free. <laughs> that's a joke. I actually love gluten. And apologies to everybody that's gluten-free, but no, that's not it. Um, okay, here's what I actually believe about this. I believe that as my trust in Jesus has increased over time, that my experience with worry has decreased. As in the more I learn to trust Jesus, the, the, the less acute worry is in my life. Now, let me just be clear. I still struggle with worry. I still struggle with anxiety. There are still times where I lie awake at night and just mentally uh, doom scroll, you know, things that are going on in my life, worrying over. This still happens to me. I'm not perfect. But worry does not dominate my life anymore. And friends, that is my hope. That is my prayer for you, that you would not be dominated by worry, but that you would experience greater and greater freedom and joy and peace because of your connection to Jesus. And so this week, may you experience less worry and more joy and peace as you anchor your sense of identity in Christ. And may you experience less worry and more peace and joy as you remember that it's not all on you, that he's with you, that he's powerful, that he's in control, and he has provided for you in the past. And may you experience life in him as you learn to trust him as you pursue the things that you want and that you need. And so, Heavenly Father, as we close this time with your scriptures, I just lift up before you those of us who are really struggling with worry. God, we got heavy things going on in our lives and we're just concerned about the future. God, would you meet us in that space? God, we don't want to be worriers. We want to trust you. God, help us in that space to believe and to trust you. God, meet us, please. God, we're so grateful for who you are and what you have done for us. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for being here. It was great to spend some time with you opening the scriptures. Looking forward to next week. We'll see you next time.